Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we approach your throne of grace, according to Hebrews 4, that we can find mercy and, and help in our time of need. Lord, I pray this morning, Psalm 8110, that as I open my mouth wide, you fill it with your words. God, let me only say what you would have me to say, and let me release your message into the hearts of the people this morning. I pray Colossians chapter 1 and verse 7, that it will bear fruit from the very moment that your word goes in our heart, and we'll give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And if you agree, would you just say amen? Amen. We have this week and one more week on our Devoted Prayer series. How many of you think this may be the longest series in the history of our church? I just can't get away from it. I just can't get off of it. I think the Lord has some more things He wants to teach us. I had actually planned on finishing it today, and then the Lord wouldn't let me get past like nine words in the prayer. We're we're studying the Lord's Prayer, and I couldn't get past nine words, and I really wanted to finish it today, but we'll pick it up next week and and land the plane. But today's going to really bless you in a great way. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. So we're in a series called Devoted Prayer. And we began way, way back several weeks ago looking at how the early church had a devotion to prayer. And we think we're devoted to this and that and different things. And and we look at athletes and they're devoted to training. We look at musicians, they're devoted to, to practicing. But are churches and church people devoted to prayer? If we're honest with the scripture, we look at the early church, they were continually devoted. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 9, Romans 12, Colossians 4. Time and time and time again, we see the early church made it a commitment to be devoted to prayer. And that's the heart of the Lord for us, and that's the heart of the Lord for this church. So we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together. Many of you have seen this, and then we'll make just a a few comments about it. But let's read it together, and our media team will keep up with us. Jesus said, in this manner, pray. Ready, read. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Come on, give yourself a pat on the back. You did a great job this morning. So we're going through that each week because we're memorizing the Lord's Prayer. And this is not something that you have to recite word for word, although that's okay. That's fine. No problem in that if that's something you want to do. But this is really a model prayer that Jesus gave us. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. How many of you have ever thought, Lord, is there something in the Bible that would teach me to pray? Is there somewhere in the Bible I could look? I want to pray better. I want to be more uh, excellent and more experienced. I want to be a better prayer. I want to connect with you. Is there some place in the Bible that you would teach us if I only knew how to pray? Well, there is, and here it is. Jesus gave us this model. He gave us his template. And my hope is that this will cause your prayer life to become alive. How many of you would be honest and say, I've had a dead, dry prayer life at times in my life? I would be the first one to say. This will help your prayer life stay consistent and alive. And so we just kind of review just for a second. We said our Father in heaven. When we approach prayer, we need to approach God as our Father. 
He's not a mean father. He's a good father, as we sang this morning. He's wanting to give us blessings and wanting to love us and wanting to help us. Then we said, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed means holy or separate from evil. So we're saying, you're our good father in heaven. There is no evil in you at all. There's only good in your hand. And then we prayed about your kingdom come and your will be done. And we said, and you can check out the podcast, we said that our prayers affect the will of God. Our prayers help bring the will of God that's in heaven to the earth. How many of you, sometimes you've heard the phrase, that's hell on earth? How many of you have heard that phrase? Well, as Christians, we have the ability to change that. We can bring heaven to the earth. We can bring God's will that's in heaven to the earth through prayers. Why would God allow us to pray and change his will and direction and influence his kingdom in the earth? I don't know. I can't tell you. But he does. He gives us that chance. And then we said, give us this day our daily bread. And we talked about asking God every day to meet our physical needs. Bread represents need. And then we talked about asking God every day to meet our spiritual needs. God knows exactly what we need. And so today, what we're going to be looking at, you'll see on the screen, is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and I really I struggled with this phrase because there's just not a lot... When you do research and read commentaries and, and, and a lot of people spend time on verse 11 and a lot of people spend time on verse 13. And frankly, there's just not a lot on this particular phrase. And so I thought we would just kind of hit it and move on, get to the meteor things of verse 13 and on down into 14. And the Holy Spirit ballooned some revelation in my heart that I think is going to really help you today. Let's say this together. Ready? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What an appropriate message for Thanksgiving time. The, the first thing that I notice in this passage is that my heart has to be right as I approach prayer. Check out this PowerPoint for life. This will really summarize everything I'm trying to tell you this morning. Right prayer starts with a right heart. How many of you would be honest and say, my heart has not been right and I've tried to pray and my prayers didn't get past the ceiling? Or I've had a grudge or unforgiveness in my heart? Or how many husbands would say, I've been kind of fussing with my wife and then try to pray and it doesn't go very far? I've went to pray before after a little spout with Miss Tara. You know, one every decade we have our little spout, just like you guys. But we'll have a little argument and and she'll eventually realize that I was right. I mean, you know how it goes. I mean, you know, I mean, no, I'm in trouble now. We'll have a little spout and argument, what they call a Holy Ghost heated discussion. And, and I will go to do what every good Christian does. And I will go to pray and the Holy Spirit will go. He'll tap me on the shoulder and he says, you were, you were pretty mean to your wife. And I'll go, well, she knows I love her. I, I, and he says, well, you need to go tell her. And you need to repent too. And I'll say, Lord, forgive me for you know, being short with my wife or whatever. And you'll say, well, that's good. Now go repent to her. And how many know we've got to get a right heart to have right prayers? So prayer is not so much about the posture of the body. Certain people think you need to do this. And, and you know, why do, we, why do we close our eyes when we pray over our food? And, I mean, you know, I'm not saying do that or don't do that. Or why do we feel like we have to hold hands when we pray? Or do we need to kneel and bow? You know, honestly, the, the posture of the heart is so much more important. When we approach God in prayer, it's not the posture of the body. It's the posture of the heart. And how many know God sees the heart? God is not a man that he looks on the outward appearance. And how many of you are glad? How many of the ugly people are glad in the house that God doesn't look on the outside? I got my hand up too. God looks at the heart. And so it's all about the posture of the heart. You know, God can lead and teach and train a good heart. 
I believe that's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 51.10. You'll see this. David cried out to the Lord. He said, create in me a clean heart. He had a heart of repentance before the Lord. He said, renew a right spirit, which means at one point he had a right spirit, and now it needed to be renewed. He cried out, renew a right spirit, a persevering and steadfast spirit within me. So my prayer this morning is that as we approach prayer, we will ask the Lord to help us continue to have a right spirit and a steadfast spirit. So let's talk this morning for just a few minutes about three levels of forgiveness. We're talking about forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And debts in the ancient society were idioms for sin or rebellion. A debt was used as an analogy to represent rebellion and sin against God. So write this down if you're taking notes. The first level of forgiveness that we're going to talk about this morning is between me and God. And I know it may be God and I, or I'm not sure, but this is the way I put it. Susan's not here today, so it doesn't matter, praise the Lord. So between me and God, I've got to make sure as I approach prayer, I've got to make sure my heart is right before the Lord. I've got to make sure that I don't have unconfessed and unrepented sin in my heart. Now, how many of you have heard the word repent before and, and heard that it, it means to change your mind? How many of you have heard that? Repentance is not just confession. So many people in the American church think that when we repent, it's when we tell God we're sorry. Well, it's not just telling God that we're sorry and getting it off of our conscience. Repent means to change the mind. So literally, my mind is going this way against God, against God's ways, and when I repent, I change and I move in another direction. Repentance is not just saying I'm sorry. It's stopping the action and starting something new. Aren't you excited we're teaching repentance today? It says forgive us our debts. Jesus prayed that as we approach prayer, we need to confess and repent of our sins, meaning we need to change our mind and go another way. And so I want you here to imagine uh, receiving God's forgiveness. How many of you know God forgives every sin? How many of you know there's no sin too big for God to forgive? But we must receive God's forgiveness. Yes, it's a free gift of grace, but I must receive it. I must understand that as a new creation in Christ Jesus, look how God sees me. Look at Psalm 103 and verse 12. This is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. How many know when I sin and when I confess it and repent it and I can forsake it and I turn towards God, He remembers my sin no more. So why do I keep reminding God of my sin when He remembers it no more? Am I the only one that's rehearsed my sin over and over again? You do something really bad, not like medium bad, but like really bad. And you repent, tell the Lord every single day. So you repent, confess it, get it under the blood of Jesus. You change your mind, move on. That's on a Monday. God forgives you. Your sin is cleansed. Obviously, past, present, future. We're walking in the cleansing power of Jesus. And then we get up on Tuesday. God, I'm really sorry that I did that. And he says, what you talking about? I remember your sin no more. I cast it as far as the east is from the west. So let's quit rehearsing our sin. Instead of over and over and over again confessing that same sin, why don't you try confessing that you're the righteousness of God? Why don't you try speaking that I'm a child of God? I'm going to live right. I'm going to do right. I am the righteousness of God. I got two people in the house that agree with that. Should, those two people should come to the front row and help me preach. Amen. And they probably are. It's probably my mother. He's right. It's probably the one that's related to me. You want to hear something really sneaky about Thanksgiving? I have something to confess and repent to you about Thanksgiving. So every year, my mother bakes two pumpkin pies. She's just incredible. She's a great pumpkin pie baker. 
Love it. Love my mom. So this is, this is terrible. You're going to think less of your pastor after I tell you this. So she brought in the two pumpkin pies, and she sat them out. And I, I went back behind her, and I picked one of them up and put it way back in the back of the refrigerator, <laughs> hoping nobody would see, nobody would notice. And then here comes my father. I thought we had two pumpkin pies. And he starts digging through my refrigerator. I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? Get out of there. He said, we need to get the other pumpkin pie out. I said, no, we don't. It needs to stay hidden in the back of the fridge. But anyway, that's my confession. That's, so he, we, we ended up getting two pumpkin pies out. But anyway, that's, how many of you think a little bit less about your pastor today? So I want to read. I wanna, I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I want to take a minute and read a few scriptures so don't get bored. Can we, can we not be bored when we read the Bible in church? Is that okay? Or do you want a Reader's Digest poem and, and whatever? No, you want the Word. You want God's Word. So let's read a few scriptures today that I think are going to help us. These can be a little confusing, but I think this will bring some clarity. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, Hebrews 10. It was a dim preview of the things to come not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide the cleansing for those who came to worship. So every year the high priest would go in, he would make atonement for the people, and that would offer forgiveness for the people for the whole year. And so notice here in verse 2, if they could have been provided for, if it could have provided the perfect cleansing, talking about sacrificing lambs and bulls and goats and so forth, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshiper would have been purified once and for all time. I want you to notice this here. Once and for all time. And their feelings of guilt, the Bible says, would have disappeared. But because they had to keep offering sacrifices every year, because they had to keep paying for their sin every year, the feeling of guilt remained. Notice here, verse 3, but instead. Somebody say, but instead. We need to pay attention to that. But instead, he's changing it here. Now the New Testament believer, we see what Jesus did for us once and for all. We no longer live in guilt and condemnation. Notice here in verse 3, but instead those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible, verse 4 says, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Notice here in verse 8. Let's jump down just a few verses. Now it talks about Jesus and his sacrifice. For Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Jesus is talking to the Father. You didn't want animals sacrificed for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required in the law of Moses. Look at verse 9. But Jesus said, Look, I've come to do your will. So the people offering sacrifices over and over and over again, the people continually having to pay for their sin, the people continually being in a state of guilt and condemnation over their sin was not God's will. Jesus said, I've come to do your will. He said, look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one into effect. Now look at verse 10. This is what I want you to see about getting things right with me and the Lord. For God's will was for us to be made holy, not by your own good deeds, not by your own works, not by your own sacrifice, but by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Somebody say once and for all. So Jesus paid for our sin, past, present, and future. And now my job is to walk in that forgiveness, to receive that forgiveness, and I cannot pay for it. 
Jesus already paid the price. So I must receive this forgiveness. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 26, check this verse out. Matthew 26, I think verse 28. Jesus said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins once and for all. So Jesus here is teaching us that unrepented, unconfessed sin hardens my heart towards God. And when I approach Him in prayer, I will not be able to receive from my Father because my heart is hardened. That's why Jesus said, forgive us our debts. So we must start out, number one, approaching prayer, making sure everything is good between me and my Father. And if it's not, the Holy Spirit will certainly let you know. I'm not your convictor. I don't have to convict you. Your family doesn't have to convict you. The Holy Spirit can convict us of the sins that we need to repent, change our mind, and move away from. Can I have an amen out there? Amen. Now, number two, check this out. And there's a lot more in those verses that we could dive into, but for time's sake, and aren't you glad, we will not. Number two, between me and man. This is where it gets really, really good. And I've seen the example, Chad, of the cross, you know, like this. And they say, if you're not right like this, You'll never be right like this. If your relationships are not right, then you'll not be able to have and walk in a right relationship with God. So first of all, when I'm praying, I've got to make sure that I don't, I'm not living in unrepented, unconfessed sin in my life. I'm putting it under the blood of Jesus. I'm receiving that forgiveness. I'm changing my mind. And then I've got to make sure that things with me and my neighbor, and man is not just man. I mean that as humanity. I mean that as all humans. I've got to make sure things are good between me and David. I've got to make sure things are okay between me and Pastor Rick. I, and how many know it's easy to be okay with people that you like? Y'all like everybody in the world? You bunch of holy people. How many know, but I've got to make sure that the person that has used and abused me and despised me and hurt me and caused me pain, I've got to make sure that I have forgiven them. Several years ago, my family walked through some things with a, a church body that frankly was, was very hurtful. And very painful, and honestly, would have been an easy excuse to have got out of the ministry. Just being honest with you, before we came here, everybody's looking around, who is it? Who is it? Nobody in the room. I've done kicked them out, praise God. <laughs> but we were through some things where we loved and we cared and really felt betrayed, honestly, and felt deserted and all those things that go with it. And frankly, could have been a catalyst that, that made my sweet wife, especially, never want to get back in ministry. But aren't you glad she stuck with it? Amen. And so I, I really, you know, was honestly harboring unforgiveness towards these folks. And although I never really accused their motives of being wrong, the way things went down and were handled was just, just not right. Uh, even though I, I still to this day am not comfortable saying motives were bad. I'm real careful about judging somebody's motives. But nonetheless, it just didn't go the way it's supposed to go. And it was several years, and I, I felt like I'd forgiven them and felt like that I'd moved on. And then I was at a meeting, a minister's meeting, and the man was preaching on forgiveness and letting things go. And he said, I want you to start praying for the people who have wounded you. I couldn't do it. It wasn't there. And I said, oh, God, I've got to deal with this. I've got to really work on this. And so finally, I remember the first time that I sat down to honestly, honestly pray for the people that had caused me a lot of pain. And it was so freeing, so liberating. Because for the first time in years, I was actually praying for their blessing and their well-being. And something changed in my heart that day. I was able to release something and let something go. 
And honestly, my prayers and my walk with God was capped. As long as I was carrying that unforgiveness, as long as I was harboring that bitterness, my walk with God was at a cap. And the Holy Spirit was calling me and helping me to release that. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. Right here in the Lord's Prayer, right after he finishes the Lord's Prayer, some people include this verse in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Now, at first glance, it looks like, well, I thought we didn't earn salvation. I thought we didn't work for salvation. We don't. This is not a conditional uh, requirement of salvation, we come to Jesus based on grace and faith alone. Can I have an amen? But what this says is if your heart is not right towards other people, you will not be able to receive God's forgiveness. You will block the forgiveness of God. So Jesus is saying you've got to make sure things are right between you and man, between you and that person that despitefully used you and harmed you. If you can forgive, then your Heavenly Father will be able to forgive you because you will receive that forgiveness. This is what I put in my notes. One sign that we have a relationship with God through Jesus is that we begin to emulate His actions. One true sign that I'm a follower of Christ and He's done a work in my heart is that I emulate His actions. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. But yet I will hold a grudge. Oh man, I will. Any, any grudge holders in the house? We will, I will not, you know, I may forgive, but I ain't forgetting. Well, have you really forgiven? So I want you to know we emulate Jesus the closer we get to him, and we have to let things go. Now, if you were abused and really in a bad situation, I'm not saying you have to restore relationship, but your heart has to be right. What if I offer forgiveness? And they don't receive it. That's on them. That's not on you. You've got to do what the Lord is leading you to do. As we receive the forgiveness and mercy of God, I can now give it away. I can now show and grant mercy towards other people. But how many times would, should we forgive somebody? This turkey's hurt me ten times. How many times should I forgive? How many times should I let something go? Peter thought he was being so spiritual. And look at Matthew chapter 18. Peter came up to Jesus. Now the rabbis would teach that you forgive somebody three times. They must have been baseball fans. Three strikes and you're out, buddy. <laughs> Cutting you off, hallelujah. So the rabbis taught three times you should forgive someone. So Peter came up and he said, he said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone? Seven times? Peter is kind of like brown nosing to Jesus. He's like trying, he's like, I know everybody else teaches three, but Jesus, I'm saying seven. Look at me. Aren't I spiritual? Look at me. Look how godly I am. And look what Jesus did. I just love the way Jesus dealt with Peter. Jesus said, nope, seven times, Jesus replied. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. I mean, that's a lot of wrong. Now, some scholars say that, that you know, they were saying you know, 490. Some were saying it actually meant 77. If you, you know, whichever way you look at the manuscript. Either way, 77 or 490, that's a lot of forgiveness for one person. Jesus is saying there's no limit on how much we forgive people. There's no limit. So Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He knew that things had to be right with you and God. A right heart equals right prayer. And then he knew things had to be right with you and man. He knew things had to be right between you and your neighbors. Unforgiveness affects our prayer life. Unforgiveness between others and harboring bitterness, it affects how we pray. And we may not realize it. You become numb to the effects of unforgiveness. You know, if, if you take medicine a lot over and over again, the medicine's effect becomes weaker on you. 
My little kids don't take a lot of medicine right now, and they can take a little half thing of Tylenol, and it'll just you know do whatever it's supposed to do. And but you get somebody that takes Advil for back pain or something every day, they get to where they take three, four, five, six, and that's why people get hooked on painkillers is because your body becomes numb to the effects. And you have to take more and more and more. So your prayer life may be hindered. Your prayer life may be capped. Your walk with God may be at a plateau and you have no idea why. And you become used to that. And the Lord says, if you will release the deep root of bitterness that is in your heart of unforgiveness to those who were wrong, they were wrong and they hurt you. They had bad motives. But God says you become so used to living your Christian life With this unforgiveness, you have no idea what true freedom would feel like. You have no idea. And I understand many of you in this room have been through very abusive situations. And you have a right to be mad. And you have a right to hold a grudge. You have a right to hate. And you have a right to say, I'm not forgiving you. You have that right. But Paul said, I lay down my rights for the sake of the gospel. You have a right to feel that way. You have a right to be mad. But Jesus also had a right to not die on the cross. Jesus had a right to mock and scoff those who were killing the innocent Lamb of God. But yet Jesus laid down His rights and He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what to do. You're not forgiving others just for the other's sake. They may not even receive it. You're forgiving others so God can do a work in your heart. So God can speak to you. Amen? Look at Matthew 5.23. Jesus dealt with this. And, and I'm bringing this up not to stir up old wounds, but I'm bringing this up so the Holy Spirit can, can bring healing to you. Notice this here in Matthew 5.23. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, if you're trying to pray, if you're trying to worship, if you're trying to be godly, trying to get close to God, and you remember that someone has something against you, notice what the Bible says in verse 24. I don't, I'm not sure if I loaded it. You notice that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. And then come back and offer your sacrifice to God. Why did Jesus teach us in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Because he knew, number one, you've got to have a right heart with God. He knew, number two, you've got to have a right heart with people. Or your prayers will never be as effective as they can be. And then number three, I have to make sure that I'm walking in the level of forgiveness between me and myself. Sometimes I am my worst enemy. Sometimes I have to learn to forgive myself. Sometimes it's easy to repent of my sin and turn from it and walk in God's forgiveness. And sometimes I I can forgive other people. I've got a good heart. I, I really try to believe the best in people. But when it comes to me, and my mistakes, and me and what I haven't done right, it's so easy to not forgive myself. I can be my worst enemy. You know, that's why the devil in, in Scripture, Satan is called the great accuser. Have you ever wondered why, why Christians struggle with so much guilt and condemnation? Because Satan is known as the great accuser. Turn with me in your mind to Revelation 12, or flip over there, you'll see it on the screen. So what does he accuse us of? Notice this. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil. Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Read with me in verse 10. 
And then I heard a loud voice shouting across heaven. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of God. And the authority of his Christ, his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters. For the accuser. Go back one screen if you can on A. I want them to see that word. For the accuser. Somebody say the accuser. Now let's keep on reading. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth and the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Ladies and gentlemen, not only is Satan accusing us day and night before God, but he's accusing us in our mind day and night. Now I, want to tell you, I want to show you something you've probably never seen. I, I, I doubt anybody in the room has ever seen this because I've never seen it. felt like the Lord really just revealed this to me. Look at verse 11. Everybody loves to quote this verse. And they defeated him, the accuser of the brethren and cistern. Amen? Do you like that, cistern? Yeah, Crystal liked that. So they defeated the, the, the accuser. Notice this, by the blood of the lamb. Somebody say, blood of the lamb. What is the blood of the lamb? Forgiveness of sins. I'm right with God now. I'm holy before God. And I'm walking in God's forgiveness. And I'm forgiving myself. I'm forgiving myself. They defeated him by the blood of the Lamb, by receiving God's forgiveness, forgiving myself, walking in the things of God, and their testimony. And they did not love their lives even so much that they were afraid to die. When you do not forgive yourself, hang on with me here. Watch this here. Everybody try to catch this. When you do not walk in the forgiveness of God, blood of the Lamb, and you do not forgive yourself, it silences your testimony. How did they defeat the accuser? By sharing anyway. He accuses you of sin, accuses you of falling, accuses you of guilt. And you defeat him by saying, the blood of the Lamb says, I'm forgiven and I'm going to share my testimony. Even though I may have sinned last week and blown it and dropped the ball and missed the mark, I'm going to defeat you, accuser, by sharing my testimony. What's a testimony? How God forgave me of my sins. You must learn to walk in forgiveness, not only between you and God, and not only between you and man, but you must learn to walk in forgiveness between you and yourself. If you do not forgive yourself and receive God's forgiveness, and you wallow in guilt and condemnation, it silences your testimony. But when we sin, when we miss the mark, we confess it, forsake it, repent, turn, change our mind. Then we we defeat the accuser, by sharing your testimony. Isn't that good news? How many of you would say it's the first time I've ever seen that scripture in that light? Amen. Yeah, but the rest of you are Bible scholars. Praise God. <laughs> you know, Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus still brought him back. Jesus still gave him a great ministry. How many, how many of you know when Peter and John were walking into the gate beautiful in Acts 3? I can imagine that as Peter walks up and sees the lame man there, Peter and John looking at him. And as Peter begins to speak to the man, the devil goes, you denied Jesus. You're not going to have any power. Jesus walking up to the man and the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to heal that man. And the devil's going, but you denied Jesus. And Peter said, yeah, but I've got a testimony. I've received the forgiveness of God. Silver and gold, don't, I don't have any, but what I have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Every time, I believe many times, when Peter would go to pray, 
the devil would go, remember when you denied Jesus? And Peter had to learn to push that aside. Peter had to learn to move forward in spite of failure. And if Peter can do it, praise God, we can do it. Amen? That's why Romans 8, 1 and 2 declare this. Romans chapter 8 says, There is no condemnation. There is now. Somebody say now. You know, if you had a bad yesterday, if you had a bad year, if you had a bad decade, start now, praise God. Our God is a God of the now. So right now, faith is now. Grace is now. Now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Look at verse 2. We quote verse 1, and really verse 2 is honestly the the caboose that really adds the power. It's really the engine of the verse. And, and, and most people just quote verse 1 where there's no condemnation in Christ. But look at verse 2. This is where the power is. Because you belong to Him. Why am I not condemned? Because I belong to Him. Why, how can I forgive myself? Because I belong to Him. The precious blood of Jesus has paid for my sins. How can I forgive myself? I belong to Jesus. That's the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. That's how I overcome the accuser. And the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed me from the power of sin that leads to death. Isn't that good news? Amen. Meshach, I want you to help me with something. And Pastor Michael, I want you to pass these out. I want you to take a minute with a pen, if you have a pen. And Mary, can you find me a trash bag? I had a trash bag. I'm not sure where it is. Just a little trash bag. Nobody looking around. Don't be cheating off your neighbor, copying their answers. Take a minute before you write down three things. Number one, what do I need to confess between me and God? And this is private, personal. I want you to be open to do this. Honor your spouse and don't be looking. And I mean, just make this between you and the Lord. Thank you. You can actually help me with that in just a second if you want to. And then what, what do I need to... Who do I need to forgive between me and man? You're going to put that name down. And what do I need to forgive myself for? Let's pray together. Father, we release these burdens to you now. Lord, we give these to you. We lay them down at your feet. Lord, we confess our sins before you, Lord. We repent of them. And God, we celebrate your forgiveness. And Father, we just lay down every, every hurt that we have towards men and women. God, we lay down every, everything that is, is between us and man. We lay it down. And Lord, we forgive ourselves this morning. Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you help us release this burden? Lord, would you help me forgive our debts as, as I forgive our debtors? Lord, would you help this, this bitterness? Would you help me, Lord, relieve this and bring healing? Anybody else? Next row. You can walk back and catch them back there. Let's close our eyes for just a second. Lord, do a work in every heart in this room. Lord, we release this bitterness, we release this unforgiveness, Father, we give it to you. Lord, we give it to you. Can we just lift our hands all over the room? Lord, we give it to you. Lord, we give it to you. You can take them, throw them away. They're done. Yeah, done. Cancel. The debt is canceled. Let's all stand. The debt is canceled. Father, we receive your forgiveness. 
Lord, we release it. We release it, Lord. Years of hurt and pain right now are gone in Jesus' name. God, we release it. God, do a work in this place. We give it to you, Jesus. We celebrate your forgiveness for us, and we celebrate forgiving men and, and women who have hurt us, God. And then we celebrate forgiving ourselves, moving past our failures, past our past. Jesus, just as you forgive our sins as far as the east is from the west, we forgive those who have sinned against us as far as the east is from the west. We receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.